Assalamu alaikum, this is Khadil Alika and welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com Today we have a, again another special guest, someone that I'm following online and great to meet you and, and, and let's, let's have a conversation. Rahima, welcome. Shukran Khadil, it's a pleasure to be here. And we also have our co-host Zahid Parker. Assalamu alaikum Khalil, Assalamu alaikum Rahima. Alhamdulillah Khalil, uh, again, very excited. I think every week we have a new, a new guest on our show. And each week we, we are about to learn much, much more about our current leaders, people that's uh, shaping uh, our current situation. And I have no doubt that the listeners will, will, will benefit out of this uh, show and from this guest. So, no, I'm very excited. Shukran. So let's start, Rahima, maybe introduce yourself to, to us and to the listeners. Okay, I'm Rahima Kenny. see myself as a Muslim woman, an engineer, a mentor, trying to make the world a better place one day at a time and one person at a time. Okay, so you're engineer. Um, electrical. Electrical. Okay, so I'm guessing it's ESCOM. <laughs> it was ESCOM, yes. <laughs> okay, and... So how, how's, how's that industry at the moment? I mean, we, we, you know, at the moment we, I mean, for the past couple of years, we've been struggling with, with load shedding. And so how was your, your perspective with regards to the load shedding and, and ESCOM taking the brunt for the past couple of years? Um, okay. In terms of that, the answer is twofold. Firstly, I think that the public really is a little bit misinformed and that's why there's so much judgment against ESCOM. Um, they don't really know the full story. And I mean, I've borne, the, as a previous employee of ESCOM, I've borne the brunt of a lot of hatred towards the company. But I also think that ESCOM just hasn't handled it well enough um, in terms of education of the public, in terms of the decisions that they've made, um, and in terms of how they handle the challenges. Because yes, it is a challenge. Yes, it was going to come whether we like it or not, no matter how well the company or how badly the company was managed. Um, but I certainly don't agree with some of the things that took place, and I don't want to go into it because it might get me into trouble. Rahima, if I electrical engineering, you specified electrical engineering. Is it some turf war between civil and electrical <laughs> and, and uh, mechanical? I can't remember. Or is it just, uh, it just you guys just work together? We do work together. It just depends on what your real passion is. Um, for me, I was not going to go into mechanical because I wasn't really good at drawing. And that it's got a lot of like the drawings aspect in it. I basically just made it in first year to pass drawings. Um, electrical, I enjoyed because there was more of a physics aspect to it. And that is what I liked. Um, although it was never easy for me. Um, I, I just enjoyed the challenge and I like um, figuring out things because the fact that once you know a concept, you can apply it anywhere else was very appealing to me uh, because I, I wasn't very good at, at memorizing things. Um, so, so yeah, and then I guess all the engineering disciplines are about really problem solving. It's You shape the world around you and that's there is no one that is better than the other. It just depends on your personality and where you fit into the system. That's, that's correct. Do, do you have any advice for for graduates, for maybe matriculants that want to go into engineering? 
um, whether it's electrical, whether it's civil or mechanical? My advice would be to not doubt yourself and do it, go for it, especially females, um, because in, in coming from that environment myself, I can say that a lot of times we doubt whether, because it's traditionally seen as a man's world. And although once you're in the field, you see that women actually do better at it often, um, even in school, like the girls are just better at maths and science, um, yet they are more uh, doubtful of going into the field. And there's so many opportunities. There is companies are basically throwing bursaries at people. If you do well, if you work hard, if you pass, you can basically study for free. I studied for free at university. Um, my fees were paid by a corporate, and I was really well looked after. It didn't cost my parents anything. And those are the opportunities that's out there that might not be available in, in other fields. But because it's so scarce, and, and it is difficult, it's going to take a lot of hard work, but there is a lot of rewards in it, and there is lots of opportunities in um, once you're studying and after you graduate as well. So I don't think they have that. Um, in terms of the law field, there's no, there's no such, like, do corporates sponsor graduates doing, that want to do law? Not as much as I notice in engineering and not as much as I see in some other professions, but the bigger um, corporate law firms, they do offer traineeships uh, just to get a glimpse into who the candidate is. And that is most important for, for graduates or even students that's busy studying because that gets your foot in the door with those companies. And a lot of students, a lot of people are see this glamorized uh, legal profession on the television, and they like to go to these, uh, or they, uh, it would be appealing to get into one of these bigger law firms. So they do have their own programs, definitely. And one or two of them, uh, two of them do offer bursaries, but, but not as much as Rafima rightly said in terms of throwing uh, bursaries around. And, and maybe that's something I should want to touch on quickly. Mm-hmm. Bursaries is an interesting, um, there's a few of my friends that did engineering and they, a few of them had had uh, bursaries as well. Mm-hmm. What will happen to that sort of strategy of corporates if the fees do fall? I actually don't know. That's mm-hmm. something that I was thinking about often and, um, and it's, it's a dilemma because the students are fighting for, and I'm all for fees must fall, but I don't agree that fees should be free. Because there are lots of opportunities, like I said, to study for free. If you really look and if you really are struggling and if you really do well, or either of the two, you can get a really good quality education without paying out of your own pocket. But the thing is, somebody is going to have to pay. Whether whether the student pays or not, um, and we were told in our first year, uh, the first day at orientation. And I wish actually that all the students get told this because I don't think they realize it, that 80% of what it costs to educate us is actually subsidized. So it might look a lot what you are paying, but it's actually only 20% of what it costs. And the rest of it is borne by the taxpayer, the person sweeping the streets, the person working as a teller, paying taxes. And that's the people that's going to have to pay for your education. I don't want to get into fees, Master. Yes, I'm getting to that now. We'll, we'll, we'll speak for a couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to go back to the human engineering. I don't even mm-hmm. know Nadia Musanji. Yes, she started, I do. Yeah, Phenomenal she's, woman. I, she was studying civil engineering while I was studying electrical. Okay. She started this human engineering NPO, NGO. Yes. 
And now she's like expanding it all over Africa as well. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, inshallah, she's, she'll be a guest for the show as well. Okay, so. so you're also a blogger. Yes. <laughs> so um, tell us about that. Okay, um, I don't, I must say, friends, I really admire people who can blog regularly because I am so lazy when it comes to that. I have so many blogs in my head that just hasn't made it to the computer yet. But blogging is something that I enjoy because, firstly, I like writing. Journalism was one of the my possible career options when I was still in school. And so blogging gives me a chance to, to, to still do that and express myself. And it also gives the outside world a window into my life and how I think and um, things like that. And I like to blog about inspiring things and things that will motivate people whether it be something good that happened or something challenging or somebody that overcame something challenging or myself that had a setback and I got through it um, because yes I I really look to other people to inspire me all the time and I would like to inspire other people as well and that's why um, I, I use my blog as a tool and that's why you're here <laughs> Thank you. I always tell Zahid to start a blog because have you ever read his, his articles or his, his emails even? <laughs> it's like, it's beautiful, it's like poetry. You know, I had dreams of a blog, <laughs> but like I said, you admire people that is uh, constant, consistently blogging. Uh, but I'm not one of those people, but I do like to write though. Um, people, again, also about people that inspire me, things that inspire me. In fact, most of my things that you can ask Anil that I do write about is, is, is practical day-to-day sort of thing. Mm. For that very reason, yes. um, you indicated that you want to give the outside world also a glimpse into the window of your life yes. and learn from what you maybe did. Mm. And that's basically what I like to do as well, mm. uh, relate a certain incident on a, on a raw practical level, yes. not to an overly academic. And, and that yes. was my purpose in, 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 in blogging. Just in terms of the benefits, I know you said it is to express yourself. Mm-hmm. Why is it important for youth especially, people, uh, matriculants especially, or even students? So what's important about expressing yourself? Well, I think expressing yourself is going to come, it's, it's a part of human nature. It's going to have to happen in one way or another. So it's better for it to come out in a positive way because if you don't express yourself and you try and keep it in, it's, you know, it's going to come out in some other negative way. And uh, so we just need to kind of harness that energy in a good way and, and use it in a positive way. And and blogging, in a way, it kind of it makes you vulnerable because it shows the outside world, you know, it gives them, you're basically sharing a part of yourself. And sometimes it's... It makes it's, you vulnerable. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it's things that, that you're not comfortable with, but you just think, okay, what is... What is going to be more beneficial, me keeping this in or me actually sharing it so that somebody can actually learn from it? So we've been reviewing your blog, well not me, <laughs> rather Zahir, and, and he noticed a couple of quotes and okay. one quote that came, came to, to, came to our hearts was, be the best you can possibly be. Can you elaborate on that one? Yes, that's one of the mottos that I live by in life. Um, because I believe that if you're going to do something, then you need to do it to the best of your ability. Um, one of the, the people that I really look up to and admire is Robin Sharma. He's a world-renowned author. And 
He always said, you know, anything that you do, whether it be just sweeping the streets, or whether it be designing a building or designing a bridge or whatever it is that you're doing, if the world watched how you work today, would it rise to its feet and applaud? So are you doing it with excellence? And that is just really important because I think if you're not going to do something well, then why do it? Then rather not do it. It's better to, in my case, if I look at an engineering example, if you're going to have a bridge that's not strong enough to hold what it's supposed to hold, then it's better to not have that bridge because to have it there is, is a safety risk in itself and it's going to hurt people. And that can be applied, I believe, to, to any uh, to any situation in life. So I believe that whatever you do, do it with excellence. Uh, you mentioned Robin Sharma. I also yeah. follow him uh, quite a lot. Yeah. And there's one talk where you mentioned um, something about leadership and you also mentioned excellence. Yeah. And he said he visited South Africa and he went into the Johannesburg International Airport, or Tambo Airport. Mm-hmm. He went to the toilet and the janitor, he said, janitor, we want a cleaner. Yeah. The cleaner came, said to him, come into my office. Mm. And he said, that is leadership. Yes. Even though he's a cleaner, come into my office. He took pride, pride in his work. Exactly. And he said, that's excellence. Mm. So that's yeah, amazing. What do you think, say? I think that is a perfect example of what we're trying to achieve here, Rahima. We believe here at AccidentalMuslim.com that anybody has the capability of leading and to lead. It's not necessarily just one particular person. Mm-hmm. Uh, by your actions, uh, your conduct, if you reach a particular excellence, that is leadership. Exactly, uh, yes. I, I don't know what you what you'd say to that. You don't need a title to lead. You can lead without having... Um, a position of leadership because it's not about the position at all it's just about how you carry yourself and how you behave um, and funny enough you'll find that when you do that you will end up having um, some kind of following and, and followers Sayyid you mentioned that you have a question that you're dying to ask Rahima so go for it thank you Khalil um, <laughs> I've never met anybody that has a black belt and I don't know what second Dan black belt means. <laughs> I'm sure it's something to do with excellence, Rafima. Please enlighten me. <laughs> okay. I think you should change that statement to you've never met a black belt that you know of. Okay. <laughs> yes, I know Chuck Norris. <laughs> but especially... Because I, you might have uh, met somebody or not. Another, <laughs> possibly. No, no, you, you're correct here. Yeah. But I think what, what stood out for me in that is not only the fact that you were second Dan black belt, uh, and I'm sure there had to be a lot of challenges to get there. Or, mm-hmm. But as a Muslim woman, that's not something unusual. Yes. Um, yeah, my journey to black belt started, uh, well, when I was very young. I've always loved watching karate, like on TVs and the movies, and like, wow, that is awesome. Um, until I decided, and my dad actually suggested, you know, why don't you do karate? And I was like, do karate? Oh my word. And then I was like, oh yes, why not? And then I started it and I loved it. And I think, you know, everybody that starts doing karate, they've got dreams of becoming a black belt because that is seen as the ultimate in achievement. And um, it's only really once you get a deeper understanding of the martial art that you realize that a black belt is actually not the end. It's, in a way, it's the beginning of something more because once you get there, 
you're almost a novice again because by then you are starting out on the new journey. And it starts with a lot of new responsibilities. You you now know what you don't know, in other words. Um, and then uh, coming to the second Dan, um, there's different levels of black belt. So you get um, your first Dan is your first black belt, basically. And then you get your second Dan, which is more senior. And then third Dan, by the time you're third Dan, you're usually a sensei, which is a teacher. Um, you are expected to do quite a bit of teaching by third Dan already, even if you're not, if you don't see yourself as a teacher. And then by the time you get to fourth and fifth, that you usually by then are the most senior in the country. And then by sixth or seventh Dan, you are the most senior in the world. So theoretically, you can go up to 10th Dan, but I think there is only about people up to 8th Dan alive at the moment. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, so you were like, how many steps away? <laughs> a very long way away. My journey to Blackfield is actually, it was, it had, it was quite difficult to say a lot of hiccups, um, because I, I, I started really well, I did well, I, um, enjoyed it, and then just before, from the, from brown belt to black belt, there's three steps in between, although it's one color. So I got through all the brown belts. I was scheduled to go for black belt. And before you go for black belt, you have to do a black belt assessment to make sure you're ready. And then the grading for black belt is about five to eight hours long. And then they grill you, make sure you are completely finished. And by the end of it, then you've got to do like the fighting where two people attack you at once. And you've got to fend that off. And the assessment is something similar. So it's about five hours, a little bit shorter, <laughs> but it's basically to prepare you for the the grading. And I passed the assessment and everything. And then a couple of weeks before the grading, I went social ice skating and I fractured my ankle. And I couldn't walk for two to three months. And I was in matric at that time and my classroom was upstairs. They had to go to every day with crutches. So that put an end to my black belt grading um, at that time. So I missed the grading. And, and then I started studying and I studied for, I was in Belleville, my dojo was in Claremont. And it just didn't happen until, um, and then it, it took a while to get my fitness back what it was again because I was extremely fit by the time I was basically ready for the grading and and then it took me almost another two years to finally get my first black belt um, and then another I think two years to get the second one so black belt is like your like a degree or like a it is like a degree yes. okay. the second dan is like a master's oh, I'd say and first six, grade so you, yeah so the eighth dan will be like <laughs> guru <laughs> Yes, a ninja. <laughs> so, do you do you practice karate? Like, do you ever do you ever beat someone up? Or? Oh yes. <laughs> okay, let's not talk about that. <laughs> oh yes, I I have beat people up. I I was quite um, hard on myself because I used to do competition as well. I loved competitions. Um, so, um, I I represented South Africa in the world champs once. Wow. And so to get to that level, you kind of have to push yourself really hard. Um, and often you 
you've got to seek out the challenge because, I mean, you're in the class and you've got to compete on the world championship level. So you've got to find the best people that you can find. And so I often used to fight with, like, bigger guys are much bigger than me, much better than me, so that they can beat me up, so that, you know, they can... So that I can actually get that challenge and I can get better. Um, and and it worked and it, it actually does make you better. And if you don't, um, yeah, and in life as well, that's why I love the way karate actually correlates to life. Because if you don't, often you don't seek out the challenge, you're never going to get stronger. Yeah, so you mentioned the correlation between, especially karate and life and sport so you think yes. obviously sport is essential in yes for us. as well sport is really really essential um i have a sport that i enjoy i, I enjoy running at the moment and i've got need to try athlon as well um but you know there isn't one sport that is i believe superior to anything else it's what you enjoy because if you don't enjoy it you're not going to do it so you've got to find something that you like and and then do it so remind me again, triathlon is swimming, jogging, cycling. cycling. Oh, okay. Yeah. Swimming, that's cycling. And running. And running. Wow. That's uh, swim, cycle, run. Only one day. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm doing one next week. Oh, lovely. Where are you doing it? Um, Slangok triathlon. Oh, nice. In, nice, uh, nice. That's a nice one. Yes, it's stunning. I love it. Yeah, I just recently getting back to some sort of fitness, so I okay. made myself all the way up to Lion's Head again. Okay. I haven't done that in about three years, but uh, uh, and the week before we were on the mountain again. So I think the just being out in nature, being part of some sort of um, fitness, uh, and, and and sticking to it, I mean, mm. the consistency. Uh, I believe that's something which uh, karate can also, and sport itself does yes. bring. Just got a confession to make. I never made it past white, white belt. Eh? Uh, <laughs> okay. I think it was only a month at Karate, but, uh, <laughs> but be that as it may. Uh, just, just moving on a bit from that, uh, one of the things which I found quite interesting was, uh, on your, on your website, on your blog was, uh, you asked the question, what would you do if you weren't afraid? I found it to be quite profound. Uh, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, can you maybe elaborate on that because, uh. Yes, um, that was a picture, the picture that you saw was actually taken at, um, the Facebook headquarters in Mountain View, California. I was, um, on a program there last year. Well, not at Facebook, but in Silicon Valley. Um, and that quote really spoke to me because it just makes you think. And at that point, I was at a crossroads in my life. I had to make a really big decision. And it just spoke to me because it made me think, okay, a lot of times we decide to do things or not to do things based on our fears. But what would we do if that fear wasn't there? And it doesn't mean that you will never be afraid because... Yes, I'm still scared and I have fears every single day about lots of things. But to overcome that, um, that is where courage comes in. Because courage is taking action in spite of that fear that you have. And then I really believe that you need to surround yourself with people that will challenge you in that way. That will not let you make decisions based on what is safe or based on what you think should you 
what you think you should do, but what should you actually do? Weigh up the pros and cons and actually make a decision based on the facts, not based on, oh, my word, like, I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone because you actually do need to just get out of your comfort zone. It's true. So I'm thinking more, I actually stopped listening when you said you went to San Francisco (laughs) because I always wanted to go to Silicon Valley because I'm in technology. So explain Silicon Valley to me. It sounds amazing. It is. It was actually one of the highlights of my life. It, it changed. I think once you go there, you cannot come back the same person. And also, um, just what we mentioned earlier about all the opportunities, I'd just like to make a point that this is one of those opportunities as well. And there's many of them. Um, I was part of a program called Tech Women. And it was, it's a program, it's sponsored by the US government. And it's for women in STEM fields. So it's a science, technology, engineering, and math field. And they choose, every year, they choose 99 women from um, 17, 19 countries, um, depending on the year, um, from Africa, Central Asia, and the Middle East. So it's a very, very competitive program to get in, because it's like 99 women from all these different countries, and hundreds and thousands of people apply. So I was one of five people, um, five women from South Africa that was chosen to go, and it's a mentorship program. So we were in Silicon Valley for a month, and then we went to Washington for a week as well. It was fully sponsored, like they paid for everything, put us up in a schmancy, fancy apartment, and, um, you know, paid for food and everything. So, um, yeah, so it was basically we went to, Every company that you, tech company that you can possibly imagine in Silicon Valley. We were at Google, we were at uh, Instagram from Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I Googled from Google, uh, we were at Twitter, I had lunch at Twitter twice, it was amazing. They get like three meals a day, like every single day for free. Um, Well, if you still live for supper, you can have supper there as well. Um, And it was basically to, we were at LinkedIn as well, I was so sick that day that I forced myself to get up and go because I didn't want myself plenty to actually go to LinkedIn. And um, so we basically learned from these companies and we were assigned to a professional mentor and also um, different mentors from the program. So it was really a life-changing experience because you get to be just to be immersed in that ecosystem. It kind of changes the way you think. Um, besides just being in the States and being in that environment, um, you're exposed to so many different things, and then you kind of get out of your bubble of just being in South Africa and having this limited thinking, and you see just, you see what's possible and other things, and you really got to just have an open mind because you might not, there's so many lessons that you can bring back, and you might not implement it the same way because, I mean, it's a different country. We are not a developed country yet. But just that kind of, there are many things that you can just implement in a different way. And once you leave from there, um, what's also very powerful is the network. And it's, it's actually through where they say your network will um, determine your net worth. Because you know, if I have any kind of issue that I need advice on, I can just go to the network, go to the, we've got a closed Facebook group and ask a question and there will be help. Even if it's not 
that person that can help. Somebody can put me in touch with somebody. If I need to get hold of Cheryl Sandberg, for example, somebody will be able to put me in touch with her because there is people that I've met that work at Facebook. So, and these people have met that work at Twitter. Um, I was, for example, at the electrical power company, like VSCOM, Pacific Gas and Electric. Um, so, I could be connected with a lot of people there. So even not my direct mentor, but other parts of a company that I wanted to see. For example, I wanted to see how the gas um, procurement works because we don't have natural gas here. I wanted to see. And then like the one morning I started with them at like, because they start work at like 5 a.m. or something. Yeah, so I was up at 4 taking the train. Oh. Much more dodgy than coming to a building at eight mm-hmm. um, when there's nobody. And then I basically saw live, real time, how they procure the gas. And it's like a like a real time stock market, basically, on mm-hmm. gas trading. That's phenomenal. That was Sounds like a phenomenal experience. It was really phenomenal. A previous guest of ours also did a year scholarship in the US. And he spoke on similar lines in terms mm. of getting out of that bubble of South mm. Africa and just exploring different sort of ways of life, so to speak. Yes. Um, it was enlightening to him as well. So mm. uh, that's fantastic. Just to, to, to confirm to the listeners, what was it, the program? That sponsorship it was program called, called Tech Women. Tech Women. Okay. Yeah. And how do people get involved in that? How did, did you apply for it? And what is the application process like? I applied, yes. Um, you apply online. And these many different scholarships, uh, not scholarships. Fellowships. Yeah, fellowships and things um, available. There's the Mandela Washington Fellowship, for example. There's Tech Women, which is for women in STEM. Um, they can go to the, for that specific one, um, the website is techwomen.org. So um, all the, the 2016 program is just busy finishing now, actually. Um, so applications for next year will open round about. Um, January or so. And actually, uh, I just saw yesterday that um, at the end of the program, each country needs to work together and they need to present a project where they will solve something, solve a problem in their country. And five um, teams, the top five teams get awarded seed grants. Um, so five out of like 20 will get. And actually this year, South Africa was one of the winners. They got a $2,500 seed grant. And their solution to the problem was that they're going to divide, they're going to design an app that connects, um, people that want to donate books to people that need books. Yeah. So I'm so proud of them. Actually, all five of the winners happen to come from Africa this year. It's great. I know, I know Zahir wants to change his career, <laughs> move from law to technology. <laughs> well, yeah, well, my association with Javier has really uh, opened up my mind to what technology can bring. <laughs> and uh, personal uh, things have also shown me the benefits of technology. Mm. So um, it got you out of your comfort zone? It got me out of my comfort zone, uh, learning about all these codes and stuff. It's like <laughs> mind-boggling. But... Uh, but it's nice. It's again just learning something new. And I think the, 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 the advice that I can give to listeners and as I'm listening to Rahima is constantly seek out these challenges. Mm. Um, put yourself to the test, so to speak. And, and whether you're successful or not, you will still grow as a person mm. if I, exactly. if I'm following you correctly. Yes. 
Uh, Rahima, if I can just lead on to one of the things that you mentioned. This is a mentorship program in Silicon Valley. Yes. And mentorship is something which uh, previous guests have also touched on. Mm. How important is it to have a mentor? Did you have a mentor besides this Silicon Valley uh, experience? Yes. And Robin uh, Sharma, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robin Sharma, I don't uh, consider to be a mentor because... Um, uh, yes, firstly, to answer your question, it's very, I believe it's very important, um, to have a mentor because you cannot get out of your, basically, you can't go to a place higher than where you are if you don't have guidance and the, the guidance you're going to get from your mentors. Um, and the reason I say Robin Schrammer isn't my mentor, I wish he was, um, but it's because there is no, um, there needs to be a two-way relationship between a mentor and a teacher. Uh, a mentor and a mentee, sorry. Um, because that's where that guidance comes from. Um, and definitely I had a professional mentor when I was at ESCOM. Um, there was somebody that was my mentor. And in other areas of life, I have means I had a running mentor, for example, um, that helped me tremendously with my running. And, um, and in my sport other sport as well that I did. Um, I'm not so involved in karate anymore, but there as well, it was important. But there it was more of a teacher-student relationship. And then when you get to black belt, it's more of a mentor-mentee because then you're kind of more on the same level type of thing. I mean, as a part of the progression, have you become a mentor to someone? Yes. Um, How's that experience on the other side? It is extremely rewarding. Um, I was... I have been involved in actually to be part of Tech Women. Um, it's a very, like I said previously, it's a very rigorous um, application process, and they ask you things like uh, basically you've got to be not just um, have a qualification and have some work experience, but you also have to have given back. And they ask you what kind of mentorship you've done, what kind of community organisations you've um, started or been involved in, or so. So, yes, I was involved in a lot of kind of um, informal mentorships before. Um, now, this year, I am a, a mentor for the Dream Girls International Foundation, and that is where we mentor young girls from underprivileged um, backgrounds. And um, we take them through a one-year program of development, and basically it's development to... Because they, they are high school girls, but we aim to get them to basically to study further. So it's for higher education, but it's also a very holistic program. So we cover um, wellness, we cover leadership, we cover um, service, community service. Um, just things that, that girls need exposure to that they might not have exposure to um, in their normal life. So that has been great because you actually get to see how you impact, you know, the future of another young girl. And I've actually had, I think it was last year or the year before. No, it was last year. Somebody um, contacted me on LinkedIn. He was a student, um, an engineering student at UCT. And he asked me some for some advice. And then that relationship kind of grew into a mentor-mentee relationship because I told him, look, I can't give you advice because I don't know what kind of advice you need. So let's see what we can do here. Um, and then the feedback I got from that, just the kind of um, 
what he told me, the value that he got from that relationship was amazing. And it made me just think, oh my word, this is, it's really so rewarding. So often, you know, it's not just the mean tea that gets um, the sense of reward, but it's a, it's actually a mutually rewarding relationship to the mean to and mean tea. 100%. And also words are, are extremely powerful. For mm-hmm. example, I, I've been uh, interviewing graduates and mm-hmm. I do it every year. And then there was, was one graduate before she went in. I was telling Zahida story before she went into the panel interview of seven, which is quite intimidating. Mm-hmm. I tell her just, you know what, just be yourself. But mm-hmm. I, for, for me, it was just telling, giving her some yes. advice to be yourself. Yeah. And she took that to heart. And now she is, you know, past the graduate, uh, past the internship. Now she's got a real job. And about a year ago, she reminded me of that words. Mm-hmm. So it just shows like even words. Yes. Um, and you don't mean to be a mentor to someone. Yes. Very powerful. One question on the USA trip. I noticed you wearing a scarf. Did people ask about the scarf when you were in, 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 in America? Some people did, yes. Um, not really people that were on the program, but like, because we were living, um, that's what I loved about it as well. We weren't like staying in a hotel or anything. We were actually, like I felt like I was living there because we're living in an apartment. You had to go do your shopping yourself and transport on your own and everything. So often people would, um, and because it was, there's a lot of girls from the Middle East as well. There were quite a few of us with scarves and then people would often stop us in the street and ask us, you know, where are you guys from? And, you know, what are you doing here, and and things like that, and they were very interested. Um, we didn't get, actually, I think, single negative um, comment, but that could be because of the area that we were in, because we were in California, and California is very liberal, um, so they basically don't have judgments about, you can be whatever you want over there. So we were lucky in that sense, um, but we were definitely noticed around um in the community because it was like okay 50 people now with hijabs all of a sudden (laughs) how do you measure success okay um how do i measure success there's a few things that i look at firstly um the most simplistic would be what were you trying to achieve and did you meet the objectives but i think it's a lot deeper than that as well because I'd like to think of it as, did the thing that you are measuring have a positive effect on something? And did you learn from it? So often, it didn't have the effect, the measurable effect that you, maybe you wanted to, um, maybe for example, uh, I actually don't know what example to use. Okay, maybe I wanted to bake like a 100 cupcakes or something. And I thought... I'm going to bake 100 cupcakes in like two hours and I only managed to bake 80. So if you look at it at the first uh, measure that I said, then I would be unsuccessful. But then if you look at it in the sense of, okay, but maybe they actually only needed 50 cupcakes and I wanted to exceed that and I made 100 and I made, actually made 80. So, and then what did you learn from that? So I learned that you can't try and bake 100 cupcakes in two hours. Um, and that's a very simplistic example, um, but I believe, I really believe that failure is part of success because if you never failed at anything, it actually means that you didn't set yourself 
um, because what is your limit actually you've never reached your limit so you wouldn't know um, so if you fail at something what are the learning outcomes what did you learn from that and when you can actually um, learn and implement it better the second time around whether it be a business or anything like that then I believe that you were successful it's a nice way of looking at what you say Khalil failure is a Delayed success. <laughs> I have a question. The, I want to know, what's your favorite Quranic story or verse? Um, I think my favorite Quranic story is the story of Nabi Yusuf. Because it just covers so many different things. It covers perseverance. It covers, you know, controlling your nafs, patience. So many things, and it's just so inspiring. Um, whenever I read it or I hear it, it, it just often brings me to tears just to think about how inspiring that story really is. No, definitely, I named my son Yusuf. Actually. Okay. So uh, you know, it's it's. I think it's a story that can inspire mm. a lot of people. And if you think about when Surah Yusuf was uh, revealed, it was to inspire the Prophet Muhammad so, 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 after so, so, so. his year of sorrow, if I mm. go correctly, and and. And, and maybe that leads me to my next question. What inspires you? Okay. Um, what inspires me firstly uh, is excellence. I love seeing people do things really well. Um, even if it's something that I have no interest in. Even if it's like a ballet, which, I mean, I, I'm not into that at all. But just seeing a ballerina, uh, just the perfection of it. It inspires me a lot. Then also, humanity, um, people showing compassion for other humans and the lens people go to to display that. And I think something that inspires me the most is people succeeding against incredible odds. Um, it is just amazing what the human spirit can do often and um when you hear stories about people that were just in a seemingly hopeless situation and they came out of it, it's very inspiring to me. Been dying to ask this question. <laughs> I've, I've seen that you're author. Oh, yes. So tell us about that. Okay, yes, um, I'm a co-author of Empowered. It's a book, uh, it's a personal development book. Um, it's a collection of short stories. And I got involved in that book um, a few years ago when I was, because um, I, I really try and um, immerse myself in a lot of personal development all the time. And then once I was on a, a conference call, just listening in, not really participating in it, and it was about the, the compilers of this book, um, Stephen Ian Liebeard, and it was the Wake Up, Live the Life You Love series. Um, and the conference call kind of, um, the reason I, I tried to be on it was because somebody had once sent me a book. Um, it was somebody from Europe and I won a prize and, and it was this book. So I was like, oh, well that, that's like the same book or the same series. Then he listened to what this guy had to say and then he was um, speaking about this book that's going to come out and they're looking for a couple of authors and um, what's cool about the book is that there's like famous people like Dr. Wayne Dyer is also in there, um, John Astor is in there and, um, and then they have like ordinary people that's also 
that has really extraordinary stories. And then I was like, oh my word, that's amazing. You know, one day when I like, when I made it, I'm going to be in a book like that. And then that was the end of it for a while. And um, a while later, um, I thought about the story that I always relate to people. Okay, not always, but whenever I relate the story to people, and it's about um, karate as well, and it's a, a story of also about overcoming something, um, a very difficult situation that I was in, actually in a in a competition situation where I, I got knocked out and I was half unconscious and I was basically took myself out of the fight and and and, and what I learned from that coming back to the failure and the success and, and the learnings and afterwards I could actually just kick myself. I was like, why did I not continue? Because if I had not pulled myself out, I would have maybe even gotten medal. This was a small division. And then that's when I told myself, no, I need to make this team again. It was the Nationals. I need to make the Western Province team again. And I made the team and then the following year a similar thing happened. I was knocked out like even harder. I was bleeding. The physios, the the first aid people told me, no, like you you cannot continue fighting. I said, no, I am going to continue fighting. There was nobody that could tell me that I'm not going to continue. So even though I lost that fight, I was like, I won all the other fights after that. And I actually got a, a silver medal for it. And that's just like the gist of the story. Um, but that medal is so valuable to me. Um, just because of the situation that I was in. And then um, I talk about the story and what I learned from it and the fact that, you know, it's when you're down that you actually shouldn't give up. And then I realized that whenever I tell that story, then people are inspired. And then I was like, wait, but that story links with the theme that they were trying to be in the book. And then I was like, and what is made it anyway? Like, am I going to wait till I'm like, super rich or am I going to wait till I'm like I mean what is successful um, and then I thought wait no I'm going to try and like be in the book and then I submitted the story and at that time I hadn't written a single word yet I just had the story in my head and then I think they needed the submission by that Friday and it was Monday and I was like okay let <laughs> me start writing <laughs> it was a short story though um and then I submitted it, and it was basically part of the book. And the book um, ended up being an Amazon and Barnes and Noble bestseller Amazing. as well. So, um, so that made me a best-selling co-author. And that is actually initially what, after the book was published, when I started my blog, it was like, okay, I have a book now. I need to writing, start promoting it, and things. Yeah, so I used the book as a um, as a tool to. You know, to, to kind of spread my message of don't ever give up on what's important to you. And also there's so many other inspiring stories in the book um, that it's it's just such a valuable um, tool to have. That, so, that, that's really fantastic. <laughs> so what's the name of the, 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 the short story? I, I like names because it gives you a glimpse <laughs> into what the story is about. Okay. It's the, the first thing to react to. <laughs> what's the name of your short story? The name of my short story is I Will Not Leave the Ring. I will not leave the ring. Yes. I will not leave the ring. In boxing terminology, if you don't leave the ring, you're still in the fight. <laughs> yes. And that's in why you got the silver well. medal. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, no, exactly. also bad. Is that what you meant? Uh, because when I was just flickering through uh, your, your, your write-up on Empower, it spoke about personal power. 
Is that yes. what you were referring to, or, or uh, did I did I take it incorrectly? Um, yes, that is part of it. Um, that is the physical manifestation of it, but it, it can also be applied to any other situation as well, because um, I just believe that, that women especially don't claim their power, um, and they don't realize how powerful they are. And if we should actually just step into our own power and take our rightful place in society, then you're going to have a positive effect on not only yourself, but your family, your community, and the rest of the world and the rest of the country. No, that's awesome. So, so uh, I get the impression here that as you were doing all these things, as you experience your failures and your and your and your and your successes, you grew in confidence, and 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 that's probably keep you motivated to carry on. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think every step and every obstacle and every success um has a an effect of of basically who I am sitting here today. And that is why the the things that I've maybe seen as drawbacks in my life, um, well, seen when I was maybe going through it, I don't see it like that anymore because I wouldn't be where I am today if it was not for that. No, awesome. So where is this silver medal hanging? Is it <laughs> framed somewhere? I actually, it should be framed, but it's not. Okay. It's a dome. <laughs> I can show it to you. Okay, that's good. So, so you, you now know a black belt second dan level, <laughs> and now best uh, selling author. No, awesome, guys. You know, this is just maybe the interview I was uh, meant to hear yeah, to inspire me to actually uh, get on with my blogging and even my book that I've been <laughs> delaying for years. No, no, and and I think this it feeds into the purpose of what Accidental Muslim Com is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm listening to you, yeah, and my mind is going, okay, connecting the dots. I've mm-hmm. got this ideas in my head, but what we try to create out of this uh, is people to to show people your story. Mm. Or not only yours, people's stories within amongst our community, and hopefully there's other people sitting and they're listening and they can get inspired to actually stay in that fight and mm. and and actually commit to something that can have a positive effect not only on themselves, their family, and ultimately the community. Because so I think that's part of our nation building uh, should be. You know, we yes. all should inspire each other. Yes. No, no, I, I, I'm I'm really enjoying this, uh, Khalil. <laughs> <laughs> I want to respect your time, so just a couple more questions. Yeah, it's fine, don't worry about my time. <laughs> the, let's, how, how would you describe yourself in, in three words? Um, okay, three words. Three words is very little, but I'd <laughs> say um, committed, ambitious, sensitive. Committed, ambitious, sensitive. Hmm. Yes, I have a very sensitive side. <laughs> so you're karate Dan level six. Yeah, that's why I added that in there because people don't often realize it or believe it. Yeah. But yeah, I I do have a soft side. I'm not all like scoops getting the one. Is legacy important to you? Yes, absolutely. Legacy is kind of part of what drives me um, because I want to... I always think of, okay, if I should die today, if I should die tomorrow, what is people going to say about me? Um, and not just things like, was she a good person or not? The thing is, like, what impact did I leave in this world? What is going to transcend me being here? And that's a small part of also why 
why I blog because that's going to be there past me at the website. And hopefully people, um, when I'm not here anymore, will still be learning of those lessons. And, and everything I do and a lot of the things that I do is just um, kind of trying to make an impact, um, even if it might be small, um, but to make an impact to make the world a better place because even if people don't say it, I want to know that when I leave here, I have left a mark that wasn't here before I arrived. <laughs> so the blogging and legacy. <laughs> do you see do you see the parallels? And book. And book. <laughs> I'm starting to see all of these things. Rahima, just again, we, we do want to respect your time. But I think this is something uh, which, as I'm talking to you, uh, this question I really wanted to ask you is, um, as a Muslim woman, what what do you think is the most pressing challenges uh, and why? But more than that, what do you think Muslim women are doing right today? I want to turn that question around. <laughs> I want to have this positive sort of uh, relationship or positive um because I'm listening to you and I just feel positivity coming from you. Mm. So the way I wanted to ask it was, what are the challenges Muslim women are facing? Mm. But I rather want to say, what, is, what are Muslim women doing correctly to meet those challenges? Yeah, the challenge is, I think one of the, the big challenges is just the way society still sees us um, and the kind of prejudgments that come with it, um, especially if you like wear hijab and stuff. But I think... When you ask the question, like, what are we doing right? I think that is changing. Um, personally, I try to um, not get involved with, you know, things where there's kind of a... Like, I don't bother myself with people that, that think, okay, Muslims are oppressed and whatever. So so it doesn't, like, affect me. Well, I try to not let it affect me. Like, if I see things on Facebook, like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to defend Islam when it comes to ISIS, for example, because I don't think that it needs to be defended. Because if you defend it, it, it you're kind of giving almost a bit of legitimacy to it. Um, so I think women are starting to realize that they, um, especially with the connected world that we have, they're starting to realize that they have a part to play in society. And because things are more freely available now, we can go on the internet, there's Instagram, you can see people doing great things around the world. And like what we touched earlier, um, that kind of, if you see somebody doing something, it gives you courage to also do it. So it kind of has a, uh, I don't know what. Sort of like a, sort of yes, yeah, almost like I don't want to say virus because it's a bad <laughs> thing, but it's like a virus that like a good virus. Yes, <laughs> a, a ripple effect. Yes, the ripple effect. That's a ripple effect. Rahima, it's your last day in your life, <laughs> and you only have enough energy to say one or two sentences to your family and friends and people around you. What would you say? To those around me and to my family and friends, I would, I would like to, obviously the usual, like I love them and all of those things, but if I take those things away, I just like to leave a message of always be true to yourself because you have to live with yourself and if you are not yourself, you're always going to have to pretend to be a different person to different people. So don't ever give up on what's important to you. Believe in yourself. Believe that you can conquer the world. 
and don't let anyone, including yourself, hold you back from your own destiny. Be yourself because everyone else is taken. Yes. <laughs> I really enjoyed Achima's presence. I, I've learned so much, so, so much positivity. Um, you really inspired me and I hope you inspired the listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Khalil and Zaid. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it as well. Alhamdulillah. I think I'm going to leave the listeners with this quote. The greatest gift you can give yourself is to fulfill your own destiny. Uh, Rahima, shukran for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, that uh, quote is something which uh, I've been reading over and over all week as well. Without even hearing your explanation, uh, it's already making me think about certain mm-hmm. things. And I know that listeners out there will. And what you've uh, shared with us today, your story that you shared with us, I have no doubt that it will inspire our current uh, leaders, our future leaders as well. Um, because I think our youth out there do, are, are looking for role models. And uh, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps you uh, uh, fit and healthy and full of strength and, and makes you progress from step to step. And uh, shukran for being here. Afwan and shukran very much for the opportunity. Thank you.